teaching. I'm giving you some material today and over the next couple of Sundays that hopefully it'll help you. But I, I think our, our, especially our parents that still have kids at home, I'm not fussing at anybody, and I'm not trying to judge anybody here this morning. If, if you have younger kids at home, it's not too late for you to step into their lives and make a difference and impact them. I think bottom line, it's a lack of priority. Number one, it's a lack of priority. Number two, it's sheer laziness. I don't want to do it. I don't want to take the time to do it. So here we go. We're basing this study out of the epistles of John. John, the beloved disciple that leaned on the bosom of Jesus, that everybody says is so sweet and kind and what have you. I'm going to blow that fallacy, that that concept out of the water next Sunday, Lord willing. But he taught in his epistles, and he knows what he's talking about. This man has been with Jesus. He He has been with Jesus. He warned us, all the church, all the church worldwide for time from now, from then till rapture, that there's going to be false prophets in our world, there's going to be deceivers in our world, and there's going to be antichrist in our world. And you as parents have to know enough about Scripture and be intimate enough with God to be able to discern who these people are. We have people here at Grace Church this morning from from several different churches in our area that they've realized that these churches are not preaching the truth anymore and they made an exit. I applaud those people for that. I'm not happy about it, but I applaud them for it. How could they do that? Because they had enough spiritual and scriptural insight to be able to discern that the church environment I'm in right now is not healthy for me or my family. False prophets, deceivers, and antichrist. A false prophet is one who doesn't speak the truth. That's real simple. A deceiver is a Judas Iscariot type people. They're able to lead sheep astray. They will betray Christ to do it. An antichrist, the core of their teaching, is they believe that God was not manifested in human flesh. That's what makes them anti-Christ. That's who they are. So let's begin here this morning the necessity for discernment. John wants the people who reads his epistles, and I've asked you to read them. I don't know if anybody did or not. They're very short books, First and Second, Third John. Uh, so you'll have a little bit of background into this material that I'm teaching. But John wants the readers of the of, of this epistle, um, particularly First John, to be given a spiritual sense of discernment or judgment, so you can look at a situation and judge or discern if it's right and in alignment with Scripture or not. I will say in my life, um, I'm born and raised in the church. Uh, I'm 62 years old. I've never seen discernment or appropriate judgment at such a low ebb in the church as it is today. There, There's parents, that I, and I talk to them, a lot of them. I talk to a lot of our parents and what they allow their kids to do, the way they allow their kids to think, 
the perspective they allow their children to have, the games they let them play, the things, the movies they take them to, the things they watch on television, what have you. And, it's, and, and parents do this stuff in large in part, I believe, because it's a great babysitter. You know, it's just real easy when your kid is getting on your nerves and you don't feel like fooling with them and disciplining them. Just hand them your phone. At Bible quizzing uh, this week, to give you an example, uh, the the place we that housed this whole entire thing, I think there was over a 1,000 kids, somebody said that, I think, that were there. Um, I was sitting in a chair way off the beaten path, and a kid ran by and stepped on my foot. I don't know where his parents were. Um, they had little uh, easels set up in front of the rooms, uh, advertising, quizzing, and whatnot, big poster board. I don't know how many times those things got knocked over. It's because parents weren't in touch. When I was that age, we weren't allowed to run and carry on like that. Uh, parents just, y'all go ahead. It don't matter, y'all just go ahead. I'm, I'm trying not to get on the soapbox this morning. Let me get to my material. Discernment is a very is very low in the modern church today. A lack of discernment will lead men far away from the truth, from the Bible, from the teaching of the Word of God. Far too often, spiritual discernment is relegated as to how one feels. It's how you feel about something, about certain things or certain issues. Sadly, spiritual discernment operates in this way. If one feels good about it, then it is fully embraced. Or if one feels bad about the issue or whatever it is, then it may be jettisoned or discarded. Discernment, listen to me folks, discernment and good judgment is not based on feelings. Feelings will lead you astray. I've used this before. Do y'all remember the pop song, some of you old folks back in the 70s, a guy sang, feelings, whoa, 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 feelings. Nothing will lead you more astray than feelings. There has to be an element of knowledge. Discernment is not a matter of feelings or some vague mystical gift. Discernment results from spiritual growth and development. Discernment results from Bible knowledge. Discernment is the path that leads men to spiritual discernment. I'm going to read these scriptures again. Psalm 119, verse 66. You'll see them on the screen. The Bible said, the psalmist said, teach me good judgment. You could substitute the word judgment there for discernment. Teach me good judgment or discernment. Teach me knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 2. So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge or discernment, and lift up thy voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver, and search for her as for hid, as for hid treasures, then you will understand or discern the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. He said in Proverbs chapter 10, And the lips of him, the discerning, that hath understanding, wisdom is found. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 21, The wise in heart shall be called prudent or discerning. 
So why is discernment at an all-time low in our generation and the culture we live in right now? I'm going to give you several answers to that question. Number one is the weakening of doctrinal clarity. When doctrinal understanding declines, real discernment becomes very difficult at best. When you don't know what you believe, it's hard to discern anything. Biblical thinking, folks, biblical thinking is important. Every thought process, every decision you need, you make should run through biblical content conduit. To think biblically, one must search the scriptures thoroughly, test everything to determine between truth and error. The custom in our day is to call anyone who demands doctrinal clarity a Pharisee or a legalist. Well, call me what you want. But I believe the Bible teaches doctrine, and it is imperative that we believe what the Bible teaches, whether we like it or not, whether we find it convenient or not. However, to love the truth is a far cry from legalism. One must plunge deeply into Scripture to gain an understanding of how we are to live. So let me ask you a question here this morning. Do you know that there is one God based on chapter and verse? Not just what you've been taught all of your life. If someone sat down with you and said, show me in the Bible that there's one God, could you do it? If you can't, then you're going to lack discernment. Somebody could deceive you. We have, we have former apostolic preachers today that were screened and licensed by the United Pentecostal Church that used to preach vehemently, there's one God and His name is Jesus, and people would shout and dance and rejoice. Today, they don't know what they believe. Something happens in, in the minds and hearts of people, and I, I can't always put my finger on it. It's the story of the prodigal. One day he wanted to leave home, and nobody knows why. He just wanted to go to a far country and sin. Was it the father's fault? Was it the son's fault? I mean, why did this happen? Let me ask you today. If there's a breakdown in your family and people decide they're going to give up on church and quit coming to church, I mean, how do you feel about it? Do you look back and regret, is there things I could have done different? I'm just asking you folks to consider teaching the Word of God on a consistent basis in your home and do it now like you've never done it before. And I believe a lot of our adult people, even sitting here today, you're afraid to do it because you don't know it. You can't teach it to your children because you don't know how. You don't know where to start. If you'll talk to me after church, I can give you a couple of Bible studies. They're real easy. Take you from verse to verse. You can mark them in your Bible, the next verse you need to go to. To teach your kids there's one God, I can give you a Bible study to teach your family apostolic doctrine. Do you know you can start in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus met with his disciples after his resurrection and taught them, gave them commandments. Commandments, not options. Commandments pertaining to the kingdom of God. 
and he verified it in Matthew 28 and, Luke, and Mark 16 and Luke 27. He, you, you can go through these chapters and verses, and it's easy to do. Why we teach and preach repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost with others speaking in other tongues. I can give you verse and I can give you chapter and verse for that. It's not just based on what I've been taught all my life and I well, I'm a Pentecostal, that's just what I am. I want to be a practicing Pentecostal that believes what I believe, and I can tell you why I believe what I believe. I can take you to a chapter and verse and tell you why I believe what I believe. I don't know, maybe we ought to do a, maybe a Sunday evening class on, on, on some of these Bible studies if you're interested. And I, I, I'll, I'll take you through it. I'll walk you through it. You can ask questions and we'll walk you through it or whatever. If, if, but, but it's going to be only if you're willing to teach this at home to your kids. We have kids that can play ball better than they know the Bible. We have kids that knows more about the NBA and the NFL and all that stuff than they do the Bible. There's something wrong with that to me. There, that, that doesn't add up to me. I know of, of a fellow that dated a, his, a girl, and one of the stipulations, it was a joke, but one of the stipulations for her to date him is he had, she had to know all the NFL stuff to play fantasy football and all that, and she learned it. I heard her spout it all off. Da, 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 da. This player plays for this person and this team and this one, this team. This is, and I, I couldn't help but think, why don't you do that with your Bible? I know the Bible sometimes is an imposing book. It's, it's, it's made up of 66 chapters. And it's a lot of material. But look at all the material you learn in college. Why isn't that an issue? When your kids reach those teenage years and they're not under mom and dad's authority anymore, and some of you understand that now, you can't just tell them to go to your room and behave anymore. They can get their car keys and take off if they want to, and there ain't a thing you can do about it. Folks, give it to them. Give it to them. (laughs) We're only retaining 20% of our teenagers. That ought to do something to us. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but it would be interesting to know how many people here this morning have backslidden kids. When did they quit going to church? I know there's no guarantees. People misinterpret, and and, and they they don't understand the meaning where the, the proverb said to train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. That don't mean what you think it means. And parents have rested on that. Well, if I take them to church every Sunday, then they'll be saved the rest of their life. No, they won't. You can pour everything you've got into your kids. And they'll still walk away from God. But this is what I learned with my two. I have to go to bed at night and live with myself. And I want to go to bed every night with a clear conscience that I did my best in raising my kids. Do you know the fruit of the Spirit based on chapter and verse? Or you just take what the pastor says, that's good enough. You know what really Christian virtue is? Folks, it's the necessity of discernment. Do you know what the gifts of the Spirit are by based on chapter and verse? 
Do you know Christian values and holiness based on chapter and verse, not based on what you've been taught? If you don't know these things, folks, you can't discern when you're being led astray. Let's move on to number two. The reason discernment is at such a low ebb in our church culture today, number two, is because of the disparaging of strong convictions. Our day demands that anyone who has strong convictions to hold them with as much slack as possible. Well, I have strong convictions about being in church unless we have company. We have strong convictions about being in church every Sunday unless it's a holiday. This is the disparaging of strong convictions. We have strong convictions when they're convenient. But what about when they're not convenient? Where does our convictions go? And so we hold them with as much slack as possible. Yeah, we're, we, I, we love God, Pastor. We love God with all of our heart and our home until something else comes up. <clears throat> But when we are reconciling the matter of biblical issues, when we are trying to reconcile the matter of biblical issues, moral principles, theological truth, divine revelation, and other spiritual absolutes, compromise is never appropriate. I'm going to say that again. When we are trying to reconcile the matter of biblical issues, when there's things the Bible says very clear, black and white, And you're trying to judge, do I do that or not? Okay, that's reconciling biblical issues. Moral principles. Well, it's okay to have premarital sex if you really love that person. If you think you're going to marry that person, it's okay. That's not what the Bible teaches. This is where our culture starts getting into our head. When it comes to moral principles, we have to have strong conviction. When it comes to theological truth, what the Bible teaches about God and heaven and hell and all that, that's theological truth. That's not up for debate. Uh, Divine revelation. I've heard people stand and publicly talk about how God has shown them holiness and God has shown them different things pertaining to their own personal lifestyle, but then denounce it later. That, That doesn't happen. That's not appropriate when that happens uh there's other spiritual absolutes compromise is never appropriate compromise is never permissible so much of scripture explicitly deals with opposing ideas and our current culture must understand that there are some strong convictions that can be founded on scriptural principle. And we have to understand that. And when you understand that and you have knowledge of that, then you have to stand tall on your conviction. So do you have, I'm asking everybody here today, ask yourself, do you have strong biblical parameters around your marriage? Just because you and your spouse may agree on going somewhere or doing something doesn't make it right. Do you have strong biblical parameters around your marriage? Are you faithful to one another? Are you faithful to God? 
Do you pray? Do you work hard on your marriage? Do you work too much when it comes to your secular job? Is your job more important than your relationship with God and your relationship in your marriage? I know people that are not married today because of their job. They work too much. They're never at home. Money ain't everything. Do you place too much priority on money and things? I know the peer pressure in our culture today for, for, for younger married couples to own homes and nice cars and all that, the peer pressure for that is unbelievable. Young married couples today, y'all live way higher than I did when we first got married. I mean, our picture window in our house when we got married was black and white. Boy, y'all are slow this morning. I mean, didn't have two nickels to rub together. Uh, we was too poor to pay attention. But how much priority you put on those things? I'd far rather have what I have now than to have all the things of our culture and have been divorced two or three times. I'd rather have what I have now than being paid child support. I'd rather have what I have now than to be in debt over my head. It's convictions. It's convictions. You look at things and you discern, that's not good for me. That's not going to be good for my family. We have families at Grace Church right now that have, they run a, a strong parameter of conviction in their home. And I'm so proud of these people. I don't know what to do. They're careful about what their kids watch careful where their kids go, what their kids do, all that kind of stuff. Will it work in the end? That's going to ultimately be up to that kid. But mom and dad can go to bed at night with a clear conscience saying, I did my best. And if they're lost, it's on them and not me. So do you have strong biblical parameters around your family and kids? Are you careful about what they watch, read, wear, games they play, and so on? Do you teach the Bible in your home? Do you pray as a family? Daily devotions are good, but is it good enough? I like the, I like the cotton candy and, and hear these guys' blogs and talk about how sweet everything is and how rosy everything is and Jesus is a tulip pad and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes I need to just jump into the Bible and find things that are challenging to me that I don't like. The third thing that demands the necessity of discernment is and it's it's crept into the church today and more than we know is is sometimes we lack a refusal to shun the world just don't want to do it it's fun man i'm not stupid i was born at night but i wasn't born last night i know there's things out in the world that are fun (laughs) i'm not going to sit here and be naive and Say there's a lot of things in the world that you can do that's a ball, but is it healthy for you and your family to do that? And this is what a lot of folks don't understand. I remember I can hear Brother Tenney saying it, is when you, when, when you look at activities and you're planning your vacation and what you're going to do being that you're out of town and you're not going to run the risk of running into anybody you know and you know, you're going to act in a way that is not appropriate and do things that's not appropriate and 
you know, I'm going to go ahead and order that drink. I'm on a cruise, and I don't see any other Pentecostals here, so I'm just going to order one nobody will ever know. So I'm going to go ahead and order that drink, or I'm going to go ahead and smoke this, and I'm going to go ahead and do that and whatever because it's fun, and I want to experience that. You're setting, you're setting your sails in that direction. You may not be out of the harbor yet, but your sails are set in that direction if you're not careful. I've heard more people recently say, Pastor, do you really think if, if you know, my spouse and I, we have date night on Friday night, we go to that real nice Mexican restaurant, that a glass of wine is going to hurt me? Do you really think it's going to be that? I've, I've heard more people say that recently than I've ever heard in my life. Where does that come from, you think? And what does it lead to? What is it going to lead to? Okay, well, if I can handle it one night a week, then maybe I can handle it two. And then before you know it, you've got it in your refrigerator. I'm not playing here this morning. I'm not joking. There's, I know families, I, this is my job. I, I work with people to try to keep them in church. And when you, when you start doing things, it may not be that big of a deal when you start. But now you've got your sail set in that direction. You're headed in that direction. Where does it stop? Where are you going to let your kids stop? The trick in many church growth methods in our times is to make unconverted sinner people feel comfortable with the message of truth, the strategy is to tantalize unbelievers rather than to confront their unbelief. We don't want to offend anybody. That's our culture. Our culture says you can't offend anybody. Let everybody believe what they want to believe, do what they want to do, etc. Uh, I've asked myself and I've asked a couple other people that I trust that uh, in, in, in some of our churches that, that used to be apostolic or whatever, and, and I consistently hear of things that pastor allows to go on their church or whatever then i then i ask well what is a sin then what is a sin then you can live like you want you can believe what you want you can do what you want you can go where you want whatever so i, I assume that they would still teach and preach that murder is a sin that maybe robbery and theft and stealing is a sin we're allowing culture to, to get into our head. And, and, and when we hear this every day on the news. If you, if you listen to the news, watch the news, whatever. You know, everything's got to be politically correct. And you can't say this anymore. And you can't say that. And you can't judge this person. You can't judge that person. And you, you know, if you have a conviction, you know, something you disagree with, you can't say it. I mean, you have to bake a cake for everybody that wants a cake. The same little bakery in Oregon, wherever it is, they're being sued for their third time because they won't bake a cake for somebody. I remember a time in America that you could bake a cake for whoever you wanted to, and if you didn't want to bake one, too bad. But not anymore. And churches are embracing that mentality. We have to please everybody. We have to please everybody. Don't matter what the Bible says, we've got we to gotta accommodate culture. So we want, we want people to come to our church. We want them to feel comfortable. We want them to feel no conviction. We want them to feel like everything you're doing is okay. We just want you to come to our church. And we'll love you and accept you the way you are. We do that here. But after a while, we're going to confront lifestyle stuff. 
After a while, we will. Spurgeon said, I do not look for any other means of converting men beyond the simple preaching of the gospel and the opening of men's ears to hear it. The moment the church of God shall despise the pulpit, God will despise the church. A true biblical True biblical preaching continues to diminish. Ignorance of Scripture grows in our culture today, as does true discernment. The Christian movement has always been opposed to secular culture. We've all, the Christian movement has always been opposed to secular culture. Why? Because secular culture has never aligned itself with Christian principles. It never has. That is why we teach against embracing secular mindset. It may seem harmless at first, but it will always lead to more and more worldliness. Too many of our churches, family, and friends have been lost because of it. The fourth thing that I'll bring to you today, and I now need to hurry, is a failure to interpret Scripture carefully. This is why I'm not on board with all these translations. And the, the more the Bible is translated and you have translations based on translations, I stick with King James. It's been proven through the years to be the most accurate translation that we have. All these other translations, they leave out words, they leave out verses, entire verses are left out of them. And it takes the Bible to a lot of these translations, and I'm going to ask all of our teachers to really think about this. When all you throw up on the screen is a verse out of the Message Bible, you're presenting to the people a big wad of cotton candy. People say, people say well, the Bible's easier to understand. No, it's not. It's easier to believe. It doesn't always make it easier to understand, but it sure makes it easier to believe. Why? Because it's watered down. It don't say everything the King James Version says, and it doesn't mean everything King James Version means. I feel like the absolute lone ranger here this morning i just i feel like a man that's out in the middle of a wilderness somewhere that just dropped in from another planet this is so uncool for our current culture what i'm teaching you today but i don't care what you say i'm right it's crucial for our preaching and teaching of the word of god to be marked by its relation to the contextual setting it is in. When Paul instructed Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 concerning Scripture, it is very clear that Scripture was first indicated for doctrine. All Scripture, all of it. You don't do a translation of the Bible and leave out verses. You have to take this one out when you do that. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Where's our Bible quizzers? They know this one. 
Doctrine is not a dirty word. And as peachy as it sounds for all churches of every faith to get together, it can't happen because doctrinal clarity must be maintained. If doctrine is wrong, listen to pastor. If doctrine is wrong in the initial stages of one's understanding of God, of salvation, of the purpose of the church, of the role of God working with man, then everything that follows will be off-center and wrong. thought I'd get an amen on that. The further one travels in a path of false doctrine, the more noticeable the deviation becomes with time. Folks, Please learn Bible doctrine. Please learn it. Please teach it to your family. There's one God, Hero Israel, the name of. The... Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sin. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Can your kids quote that? If they don't know it, and they become teenagers and start dating somebody of a different faith, that person will convert them to what they believe. Because they don't know. I read something this week that paralyzed my brain. Somebody posted over the death of a loved one. It was the grandfather of this person, grandparent. The grandparent was born and raised in church. Grandparent was born and raised in a United Pentecostal church. Their grandchild posted, I hope to meet my grandparent again somewhere in the afterlife. Don't know there's a heaven. Don't know there's a hell. I don't know what you think about that, but it bothers me really, really bad. The fifth thing, and I've got the, the landing gear out now. Time is running out on me. The fifth thing that demands the necessity of discernment, it's in our culture today, is the neglect of church discipline. It's the neglect of church discipline. Listen to what I'm about to share. Listen to this. A minister said one time that he once heard of a preacher preaching a command of Jesus that he said he has never seen practiced. It's a commandment of Jesus that he has never seen practiced. He was preaching from Matthew chapter 18 where the proposed route is given for confronting a sinning, unrepentant believer. Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said this. Beginning with chapter 1, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the very midst of them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you be converted and become as, a little, as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me 
It were better for him if a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. This is something I've never seen practiced either. I know parents that do this. I know a parent today that would not affirm what their kids believed. Their kid came to me crying, saying, I asked my parent, will you support me in what I believe? I want to be a good Christian kid. I want to believe the right thing. I want to live the right way. Will you support me? And the parent stared at him and never said a word. You know what Jesus said about that parent? Not me, Jesus. Y'all know what a millstone is? They weigh about 2,000 pounds. They used to hook a horse or an ox up to them, and they would go around and around in a circle, and they'd put corn in between two of these millstones, and they'd grind it into powder. They're, they weigh about 2,000 pounds. They're about that big around. They're solid stone. They're about that big around. They're about that thick, and they have a hole in the middle of about that big around. Jesus said it would be better for somebody to tie that around your neck and throw you into the sea for doing what you've done to your kids. Jesus said that. Where do you stand as a parent? If Jesus had the opportunity, would he do that to you? This is heavy duty this morning. Folks, I'm trying to help some people go to heaven. I'm trying to help you with your kids go to heaven. I believe heaven is a family affair, and that's all I'm trying to do this morning. This is almost a universal failure among churches in our day. The church must hold up high, up a high and holy standard. Known and open sin can't be tolerated in the church. We must live and practice what we say we believe. If you can... Here, here's a, a very kind of a trivial illustration, but if you can be in church or Bible study or prayer meeting, then you need to be there. I don't believe everybody that calls or texts me that says I can't be in church tonight because I'm sick. You're not sick. Did you miss work that day? Are you going to miss work the next day? Or are you going to have the next day miracle? Where, oh man, that clock went off at 4.30 and look at me. I am completely well and I am ready to go to church. You're not sick. I'll tell you what the problem is. You want to hear it? You're tired. You're probably in a bad mood. You probably have a bad attitude. You've had a bad day at work. Or you just got in an argument with somebody and you don't feel like going to church. That's the problem. Let me put it to you this way. If your kids were having an event at school that night, would you have stayed home too? Folks, my heart is so heavy this morning. (laughs) I had lunch with somebody several months ago. And they told me they just could not be in church on Wednesday night because their kids misbehaved so bad and it just so happened we weren't doing kids' church. So we can't be there. And the same conversation forgot what they had just said and said how they play ball one night every week. But they can't be in church because their kids misbehave. That thinking and that mentality has consequences 
There are some real delicate situations here this morning, and I'm trying to be careful. I'm trying to be careful. But I've sat down with too many parents and said, my kids don't want to come to church anymore. Folks, we're losing 80% of our teenagers. And let me have you understand one thing. It ain't my fault. I will not take We do everything we can here at Grace Church. We promote everything we can. We have kids' church. We have youth service. Our, our student minister is incredibly qualified. He works at it hard. Brother Mark, Sister Brianna, they do an amazing job. In my opinion, they do. We have excellent Sunday school teachers who kill themselves, figuratively speaking, to prepare a Sunday school lesson in a Sunday school room and what have you. It's not the church's fault. I think some families, we need to do some soul searching. We need to do some soul searching and figure out what's happening to our teenagers, man. I can stand here at Grace Church in this church alone, and I can sit down with some of our leaders, and we could come up with a long list of teenagers that don't attend church anymore. We have some right now that I'm seeing less and less of, and the parents are here and you're jolly and happy and all of that kind of stuff, and it's not bothering you that your kids ain't in church anymore. I don't, I don't understand it. If Casey Whatley wasn't here this morning, I wouldn't want to be here. As soon as a church stops dealing with sin seriously, there will be a creeping and there will be a creeping worldliness that will mingle and ultimately infect that church. This destroys holiness and subverts discernment in its own members. I'm out of time. I'm I'll, I'll pick this up again next Sunday. But I'm going to ask you folks to give this a lot of consideration. You you have to understand as a parent when it comes to your kids, when it comes to your marriage as a spouse. Do whatever you have to do with discipline, church discipline, spirituality. Do whatever it takes for you to go to bed at night with a clear conscience that I'm doing my absolute best with my kids and I'm teaching them the entire Bible. And if they turn 18 and want to turn around and walk out the door like the prodigal did, that's on them and not me. Does everybody understand that? Quit being lazy. Quit being worldly. Get yourself together, folks. Get yourself together. Teach your kids. Make sure they know the path from here to heaven. You have to have the ability to discern for your family. We'll pick this up against the crowd here today is amazing. I'm fascinated with everyone that's here today. I mean, we have all four sections decently populated with people, and I thank you for being here. I appreciate you being here. Uh, we'll pick this up next Sunday. i got to quit. Everybody's out in the lobby waiting to come in. Let's have great church at 11. What do you say? Do you love Jesus? Let's give the Lord and the Bible some appreciation.